So let's now quiet our hearts and direct our attention to the Lord, and let's pray. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, we're going to open up your word now. And Lord, I just ask you to speak to us. Lord, you've given us one book, and we're going to take the rest of our time and look in it. So Lord, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts about the future, but ultimately about our trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Luke chapter 21. You might want to turn there. Um, We've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see Jesus now um, really bring hope and trust to us as, as the great shepherd as he looks forward to a coming valley. I love Psalm 23. It's not the funeral psalm. It's much more than that. Okay, I put some of the verses up here on the screen here for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I have preached this passage at many funerals, but that's not all it's good for. The 23rd Psalm brings us great truth about our relationship with the Lord. And when I focus our attention today on just a couple of verses here from Psalm 23 as we move into Luke 21 in just a minute... And that's where the Lord says, David writes about the Lord, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So what the psalmist is telling us here is no matter what life may bring my way, even if I would call it the valley of the shadow of death, now that's a metaphor, it's not like there's a valley called the shadow of death. The psalmist is saying, even if I... I'm in an experience where I feel like my life is going to end. And the warrior king David wrote this. Let me tell you, he had seen the valley of the shadow of death. But when you are a follower of God, when the Lord Jesus Christ is your shepherd, what this passage, and the one we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 21, what they tell us is, even though we walk through these times and we may fear loss, we may fear damage, we may fear that we, we could lose the most precious thing to us, even our life. We might lose even our life. I will fear no evil. And so as we look at, at Luke chapter 21 today, I think we're going we're gonna to discover that, that God has a different intention for us than fear. God calls for us to trust. And there are times when it doesn't feel like the the world is a place that you can trust much of anything. I mean, this was a bad week in the news. Again, it was. It's come up recently. Have you noticed that? Over the last few months, we've talked a lot about the news. What happened in France broke my heart. I know it broke yours too. And you, you see these things that are happening just... And you wonder, God, where are you? How are you letting this happen? People that don't deserve to die, losing their lives. By the hands of people who are doing it, they think in the name of God, in the name of religion. It just goes against every sort of thing that seems right to us. It's not just France. There's things that are happening in our country, in our community. Breaks your heart. But what I want to say to us is this from Luke chapter 21 today. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be troubled in your heart. Because you and I know a truth. We know a truth. And that's this. That God is fulfilling His plan on His earth. He is. 
in our lives, on the earth, in the universe, God is fulfilling His plan. And He is good. He is good. Now, life's not always fair, but He is good. And even even when a valley comes in your life, and it feels like you could lose everything to the extent of even losing your life, you can know that God is good. And I hope that you will trust Him. We're in Luke chapter 21 today. We're going to look at three things, three realities about the future that allow us to trust. I'm at chapter 21. I want to look and I'm going to jump here at verse 5, but I want to say just a word about this before I start to read it. Okay, this is a this is about oh, 30 verses in Luke chapter 21, but in the in the gospel of Matthew it's two chapters. Luke here is condensed what's called the Olivet Discourse. This is where Jesus teaches a great deal about we'll just call it end times. The end of time as we know it is what this is about. Now, Luke condenses it, and there's reason for that, and we won't go into that right now, but the central truth is still there. Matthew develops it greatly in chapter 24 and chapter 25. You can read about it. The book of Revelation lays it out even more, with more detail. But overriding the the truth we need to understand is that God has a plan. God has a plan. Now, this is very important to realize about what I'm getting ready to say to you about Luke chapter 21. What Jesus here is doing, you must remember, Jesus is a Jewish man speaking to a Jewish audience about the Jerusalem city, the Jewish city of Jerusalem. So we got a Jewish man talking to a Jewish group of people about their city. And so when we read this, we have to understand that. That's how you interpret Scripture. Interpret means to understand what it means. It only means one thing. And what he's saying now is he's teaching truth to these Jewish listeners about what God's going to do in Jerusalem. However, you and I will not experience much of what is described in this passage. So you say, well then why even read it? Because we learn much about the character of God when we see Him fulfilling His plan. So we'll read through this. We'll understand what Jesus is saying about the Jewish nation, about Jerusalem. But from this, we will learn things about God and about ourselves. Verse number 5. And while some are speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. Now remember just last week, We saw that poor widow come and throw those two little coins into the offering sort of horn, is what they called it. So they're there, and they're at the temple. Okay, There's not a temple there right now. There's no temple there in Jerusalem. Not anymore. No, there will be. So we see already, we see, this is talking about a a specific time, a specific place. He said, so they asked him how, how it was adorned with noble stones, and He said, as for these things that you see, the temple, the days will come where there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What did he just say? The temple will be destroyed. Now, again, that's not a big deal to us. I've never seen the temple, have you? 
It's not a big, I've seen pictures, you know, but it's not a big deal to us. But we need to remember to the people who are hearing this, this is a big deal. And in the plan of God, this is the, this is the one building that God called for His people to worship Him through. So the, the worship center of Judaism is going to be destroyed. I mean, think of, you know, the biggest legitimate church in the United States of America. I don't know what that would be, all right? But let's just, let's just picture it. And if somebody stood up and said, this building will be destroyed to the ground, demolished, burned up, you'd be like, hey, this guy's saying something significant. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. And they ask him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? What they're asking is, Lord, when are you going to fulfill your plan? What, the way you would say it is, God, when are you going to come back? Jesus, when is this earth going to cease? When is time going to stop? When is Jesus coming back? You want to know the answer to that question? I mean, Pastor Brock told you to figure out what's something you would like to know about the future. What these guys are saying is, Lord, when are you going to do this? See, they understood that God was going to return, that the Messiah was going to return. And so they're asking, when are you going to do this, Lord? When are you going to do this? And he said this, verse number 8. See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Jesus says, do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. So you see, Jesus now is talking about the end of the earth. I don't like using that term, but it's what we say around here. The end of the earth, the end of time. He goes on to say in verse number 10, He said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. It's kind of like a scary time, doesn't it? Earthquakes, wars, struggle, hurt, pain. This is a period of time that the Bible calls the tribulation. Okay? It's first kind of talked about in Daniel chapter 9. And in Daniel chapter 9, it's actually identified as a seven-year period where God is going to, at that time, God is going to pour His wrath out on sinful mankind and sin-cursed creation. You see, here's what's happening. For thousands of years, for thousands of years, Men and women have continued to do wrong. Madmen walk into a news establishment and shoot it up and kill. I don't know how many people it was this week. Children are, are taken advantage of and abused. Families are, are abandoned by fathers. Criminals hurt people and take things that don't belong to them. And all along, we know this isn't right in our gut. Do you feel it? When you see the news, do you think, that ain't right. That's not right. 
When you feel that, you're right. It's not right. And God is storing up His wrath. Now, ultimately, you need to know the gospel. The Lord poured His wrath for sinful me and sinful you onto His Son, Jesus Christ. That's love. That's love. But God is also storing up His wrath for this time of tribulation. Because God is a just God. He is a just God. And wrong must be dealt with. And right now we are in a a period where, where God is stepping back in grace and allowing us to come to Him. But it is not an indefinite time. It's called the tribulation. It's described in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And you walk through this judgment of God on the earth. And his point is two. He has two points. One, that his wrath will be satisfied because God is holy and he is just and he is satisfying his wrath upon sinful man. But secondly, it's this it is an act of grace. It is an act of grace that God is is letting mankind see that because of their sin, they're experiencing consequences. And the amazing thing is, when you read the book of Revelation, chapter 6, about verse number 19, it says there that the people know that what they're experiencing, they know what they're experiencing is the wrath of God, but they will not repent. It's shocking. And this, this phrase comes up a couple times. There's these, this last group of judgments. They're called the bowl judgments. And they're really very bad. And twice as this described, it says again, the people knew this was the wrath of God, but they would not repent. They would not repent. But the beautiful truth is this. If you are part of the bride of Christ... If today Jesus is your Savior, Scripture confidently tells us that He will keep us from the hour of trial that is coming upon the earth. That we are waiting for the Son to come and to keep us from this wrath of God. We call that the rapture. And that could happen at any moment. It could happen before we leave here today. And so there's a guy named Vance Havner. He's dead now, but he's, he's, this, great, he's this old-time preacher. And he has these great quotes. And he says, I'm not looking for signs. I'm looking for a sound. And I love that. Here's what he's saying. When Jesus comes back, 1 Corinthians 15 says, that they will be the trumpet of God. And those that are in Christ will go to be with Him in the air. That's the beautiful truth. The blessed hope. Titus calls it, that we have called the rapture. But what about the rest of the earth? What about those that aren't in Jesus? Well, that's what Jesus is answering. And let's look at it here, okay? Let's look at it. What we see, first of all, is that the future is under God's control. 
The future is under God's control. Even this wrath, even these earthquakes, even these nations, all this stuff is under God's control. I want you to see in verse number 8, let's start there and walk through this. Notice it says, see that you are not led astray. There's a lot of these warnings throughout this. Actually, in this first section, there's these six phrases of warning. Do not be led astray. Do not go after them. Do not be terrified. Settle in your mind. Not a hair of your head will be hurt. And alas, these are six different phrases that mean, wake up, be alert, understand what's going on. And Jesus here describes what will be occurring during this time. And what we see here when we look at what's occurring We see what man naturally does without God. You will see in this the call of the culture away from God. The call of man to abandon God. And the first call you see is in verse number 8, and it's religious delusion. Look at the lie in verse number 8. Some will say, you will hear, I am He. For many will come and say, I am He. And others will come and say, the time is at hand. This is a religious lie. And it, will be, and it will characterize the tribulational time on earth. People will come and say, I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. People are doing that today. People have been doing that for 2,000 years. Religious deceit and delusion. It's all over our planet. People following lies. Jesus says, don't go after them. You will know it's me because I'm coming back in the sky. And he says, don't be afraid. You're in verse number nine. You're going to hear of wars and you're going to be terrified. But the end will not be at once. Nation will rise against nation. We look at this, this scary time that's going on. But Jesus is saying to us, it's all under God's control. And listen, when you see the news, or when your family member shares with you news that is ready to wreck your life. We need to learn here this principle that God has it all under control. And it's all working out His plan. Third thing that's interesting here, verse number 12, look what He says. Before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors of, for my name's sake. But this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Another thing that happens when man is rebelling against God is that man attacks and persecutes followers of Jesus. In fact, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Say, Lo, how can you say that? All, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. How can you say that? I'm not saying that. I'm quoting it. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6. All who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's what sinful man does when they encounter a follower of Christ, they persecute. It's going to happen in the Great Tribulation. It's going to happen in our lives. Let's jump down a little bit and, and, and just go through this story here of, of what's going to happen in the future. Verse number 20. Jesus says, But when you see Jerusalem 
surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Now, Jerusalem is the center of Judaism, okay? And it's not, un, it's, it's, it's not by accident that for literally thousands of years, many religious wars have been fought right around God's city, Jerusalem. The city of peace is what it is. And it's never been a place of peace. Over 118 different conflicts over the last 4,000 years over Jerusalem. Did you hear that? First of all, I said... Over the last 4,000 years. Find me another city you can say that about. Over the past 4,000 years, 118 different conflicts have been fought over Jerusalem. Wow. What a history. It's been completely destroyed to the ground now. I mean where, where the, the, the captors came and took the rocks and the gold and everything and crushed it down and burned it. Two times, Jerusalem has been destroyed in that way. I mean, there's something special about this city. And what Jesus says here is when you see the desolation coming, know, when when they're surrounded, it is, know the desolation has come near. Now, what is the desolation? Okay, I'll just tell you a snapshot of what this is. Daniel chapter 9 describes it a little bit more, so it's Matthew chapter 24. But this is what's going to happen in the tribulation. There will be a person called the Antichrist. This is described in Matthew chapter 24 and in Daniel chapter 9. Now, he's not going to have the title Antichrist, be, be clear. He's not going to have a name badge, Antichrist. But God calls him the Antichrist, okay? And what he will do is he will establish a covenant, an agreement with the nation of Israel. And what this covenant will do is it will establish peace in the city of Jerusalem. Now, over 4,000 years, they've had 118 battles. They're hungry for peace, right? And so this one will come, empowered by Satan, and establish an agreement where there will be peace. And things will go pretty good for about three and a half years. But at three and a half years, what will happen is called the abomination of desolation. That's a phrase you don't use a whole lot in regular life, right? And what it means is this Antichrist, this world leader who has set up this agreement will now go into Jerusalem at the city of God and will call for all of the world to worship Him as God. And guess what? It works. Millions and billions of people will worship the Antichrist as God. And he calls for the world to persecute primarily two groups of people. The Jewish people and the followers of Jesus Christ who have come to know him since the rapture and a persecution now starts on those people that is unparalleled in history. Unparalleled. Jesus describes that here a little bit in this passage. Okay, see, there's a lot going on here in a condensed form. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days. Alas means we feel sorry for them. It's so sad for them. For these women who are pregnant and nursing infants. 
For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. When this happens, that's when Jesus comes back. Until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So what we see here is God has a plan. God's plan is moving forward. And men and women in the midst of it are wondering, what's going on? What's going on? Jesus' return will fulfill all of His promises. Now, He describes a little bit more in verse number 25. He says there'll be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. So there'll be all over the universe. There will be havoc. And then it talks about these men on earth, the stress of nations, perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Now what that really means, that roaring of the seas and the waves, that, that's a metaphor, okay, in the language. And what it means is that governments will be up and down like waves of a sea. So, that, so in this time, there'll be a government leader that comes up and he'll lead and then he'll go out. And these different countries and governments will just be up and down like the ocean. The whole world will be in tumult. And then, verse 27 they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. I like this expression. Straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now we need to see what Jesus taught. Okay, We need to see it. We need to see that He has a plan. But you might be wondering, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're still awake and thinking, you might be thinking, well, Lo, I, I don't get it. I mean, why are, we, why are we working through this? Well, first of all, it's because Jesus taught it, and we are followers of Christ, we want to know what He taught. But I want to jump down now to verse number 34 and bring this close into your life. We're going to walk into your living room now, Okay? And I want you to see here in verse 34, Jesus' warning to these men about, and women, to these people, about how they might react to troubled times. See, all through this passage, he's been saying, stay awake, wake up, alas, be on alert, be on your guard. All through this, he keeps saying this. Ten different times in verses 5 through 37, he uses an expression that means, wake up and be alert. And so what that shows us is there's a tendency in us. And that is, we tend to drift off asleep. We tend to be distracted. We tend to find things that are attractive because they distract us from what we need to focus on. So Jesus brings that warning to them. And I think the Spirit of God wants to bring that warning to us. Listen to it. Verse 34. But watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. What does this show us? This shows us that we as human beings have a tendency We have a tendency. God's working a plan in your life and on this earth. He is working a plan. That's been established for like 30 verses. He's working a plan. But we have this tendency. And it's this. When the plan's going on around us, 
and God is inviting us into as a plan, we find something very attractive that distracts us from Him. And then we're trapped. He gives three things to warn about. Let me just say something about these, okay? First is dissipation. You know what that is? Uh, there's a word in King James. I can't remember what it is right now. It's like a really weird word. I had to look it up. I didn't know what it meant. Like, Sertel or something like that. Anybody got the King James? It's really a strange word. We, we have a hard time translating this word. Here's what it means. It means excess. Be careful, Jesus says, not to indulge yourself to excess. That's what dissipation means. It oftentimes refers to a drunk person who's just completely out of control of all their, all their faculties because of, because of their drunkenness. And now they're hungover and worthless. It means to indulge yourself, to indulge your flesh. Sometimes it's used when talking about food. Often it's used when talking about alcohol. It's talking about anything that your flesh consumes. You see this warning? Jesus is saying, do not distract yourself with things that you indulge your flesh with. Stay awake. Stay awake. Don't feed your face. Stay awake. Don't feed yourself with alcohol or something that will distract you. Stay awake. Then he mentions drunkenness by name. Can I tell you something I've seen happen in so many people's lives and my heart breaks for this. People are fooled. Let me just tell you a scenario that you better watch out for it because as a pastor over the last 20 years, I've seen this happen to so many people. And here it is. Danger comes into your life. The valley, the shadow of death comes into your life. And your world is wrecked earthquake. I mean, everything you thought was important is destroyed. And you stand there looking at the mess of your life, burned to the ground, and you hurt deep. You hurt deep. And the Spirit of God is whispering in your ear. And He's saying, come to Me. Oh, you are heavy laden. Come to me and I will give you rest. But time and time again, I've seen people that I love and they don't run to God. They don't run to God. Typically in our culture, you know where they're running right now? They're running to a bottle of alcohol. And they numb their pain Because I know if you drink enough, you'll sleep tonight. I know. It'll dull the pain enough to where you get through another day. Right? And what happens is this. They don't stay there. That's not what happens. Because tomorrow, they wake up and the pain is greater. Their life is still in shambles, but they have the guilt of what they've just done. And so they do it again the next weekend. And they do it again the next weekend. And they do it again the next weekend. And I stand there. Because often I have an inside sight. I can see it. They talk to me about it. And they tell me what's going on in their life. 
And they tell me about their burdens, and I hear them, and I say, turn to Jesus. And I'm watching it, and it's like I'm watching a train wreck in slow motion. And I see it. And I know the destruction that's coming down the road. And you say to me, the Bible says, doesn't say it's wrong to drink. We have freedom in Christ. That's the Old Testament law. I have freedom to do that. Listen, we go to that train wreck and we brush off the survivors and we pull them up and we say, how's your freedom taste now? How's your freedom taste? Now I'm not saying, don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying that if you have a drink of alcohol that you're in sin. I'm not saying that. Okay? Listen, I can make a stronger biblical case for either view than probably most people in the room. I understand the debate of the matter. But that's not what dissipation and drunkenness is. It is numbing yourself to the pain of life. And Jesus here, looking at people that are going to walk into the ultimate tribulation, says, you better watch out. Because dissipation is going to call you. And so is drunkenness. And then you're trapped. No, if you're trapped today, my heart breaks for you. I probably can't help you much. But I'm willing to do all that I can. Ultimately, where you need to turn is the Lord for the trapped. But those of us who are still free, okay? Those of us who are still free, when you hear the Word of God, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down, hear that? With dissipation, excess. Now, I chose alcohol today, but you know what? I could have chosen food. I could have chosen that. I could have chosen exercise. I've seen that happen. I could have chosen TV. I could have chosen a lot of different things. The point is, it's anything but God that we're running to in excess. And drunkenness, I can't make that one mean anything else than what it means. Sorry. And cares of this life. And that day, be careful, because that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. There's coming a day, folks, where we're going to stand before Him. And all the weight of life and all the challenge and suffering will not only be gone, but we will understand it in the plan of God. Let's pray and talk to Him. Lord Jesus, You know the the lives of people here. God, You know what's going on in our lives. Lord, would You just allow us, by Your grace, to come to You and nothing else. Lord, there's, there's no food, there's no activity, there's no drink, there's no escape that gives us You. You are the escape, Lord. 
And so I pray we would come to you as you have called us to, as you called these guys to, as they faced a future tribulation, Lord. This generation that's coming, you warned them of our tendency to be distracted. So, Lord, we wait for you. We wait for you. And we long for your appearing. We pray in Jesus' name.